following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. This is oral history conversation number one about the School Without Walls in Canberra, Australia, with Lizanne Emery. I'm Scotty Foster. Now, part of all of this conversation may be included in future media, including podcasts, radio broadcasts, documentaries, books, articles and the like. Do you consent to this? Yes. Great. Fantastic. School Without Walls was a fully democratic school that ran from 1974 to 1997 when it was forced to shut down by Kate Carnell's Liberal Party local government. Many of those, including myself, who had the opportunity to learn at SWOW, remain embittered that something quite good, many would say life-changing, no longer exists. There are scant records available from SWOW and this series of oral histories aims to fill that gap as fully as possible. Well, welcome Lizanne. Welcome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm not quite sure where to start because it's number one. (laughs) Okay, I can start with my early connection. Yeah, that would be a great spot. Which was actually 1973. Uh Aha. And in 1973, they had a public meeting. And I didn't go to the first public meeting, but there were people around who did. But I then went to the second one. And it was about, let's start up a school with a difference in Canberra. And there were a few of the first teachers who were there. I'm sure Harry and Simon were involved from the get-go. Anyway, we went to the second meeting and decided we'd start a, a trial school, an educational hub. And at that point, somebody had got us access to Childers Street Hall and we used to have lessons there. And I think that first year, and I'm not sure, I think the first public meeting might have been July and then by maybe August, end of August, September, we were having informal lessons there. And quite seriously, I probably did more learning in the three to four months of that part of the year, part of the establishment, and we talked about what we wanted out of the school and how it was going to happen. At that point, I was only 15, so my role was pretty minor. No, maybe I was only 14. My role was minor and I was too young to join the school. Yeah. Because they decided that the cut-off age had to be 15 so they could get past the attendance rules. But I knew my birthday was February, so when the school started the next year, I was allowed to go. And so we met, I can't remember how regularly, but we'd have hours of tutorials. I learnt more (coughs) from that period of school. A lot of work was put into it. We were all asked who our favourite teachers in our normal high schools were and were tasked to go back to our high schools and ask them if they'd like to come and work for us. Yeah, nice. Which was the most powerful moment in my life, I think actually approaching an adult and saying, do you feel like working for this thing we're talking about? And I can remember playing around with how we were going to name it and call it. I'm not quite sure how School Without Walls as the name happened, but I can remember the sessions drawing the logo and having huge fights over whether it should look like this or whether it should look like that. And the ACT government 
education department at that point in time wanted to show it was doing something different. So it decided it would fund this school as a one-off innovative project to see what would happen. So we got given funding for 10 teachers and 100 kids. And um, in early in 1974, the school started. And originally, we were based where the Catholic primary school was. We moved from Childers Street into the Catholic primary school on the corner of, I don't know what the street's called. Mm. So when you say Childers Street Hall... Where the drill hall is now. The drill hall gallery, yeah. It used to be old university premises. Yeah, right, yeah. Old yep. asbestos university premises. <laughs> so it wasn't but, the drill hall itself, it was in a, a building that's no uh, longer there that was near It was, it, there was mm. a large collection of buildings there. Mm-hmm. And it was in that collection of buildings and I think the drill hall's the only thing that's been retained from that. Mm. So it was actually in the drill hall bottom, but that wasn't called the drill hall then. Right, yeah, yep. Yeah, I think the food co-op wound up starting there somewhere too, didn't it, in that cluster of buildings? Mm, don't know, but mm. it, it contained a lot of odd bods yes. at different times. And then the school just... Uh, just along where the bigger flats were, the Alloa flats oh, coming yes, along, yes, yep. there was a Catholic primary school Okay, that had closed down as a Catholic primary school and the education department gave it to School Without Walls to start the premises. Mm, mm. So we were Across in, from the footy club. Yeah, which didn't <laughs> used to exist. Yes, right. In the olden times in <laughs> Canberra. So we were based, and it's the most bizarre school to be based, in the Catholic yes. premises, but we had the canteen. The old canteen was our social room, and then we had the classrooms to hold different, different classes in. Mm. And the Safari Room Cafe, which is now where Mrs Barbeau is, was a cafe, and that was our local watering hole, and Gus's had only been allowed to have tables on the footpath for a year, and it was still in the courts fighting about whether Canberra was allowed to have coffee shops outside. Yes, yes. Well, old Gus pioneered that, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So do you know if it was based on any existing schools or ideas? There was people bringing ideas in from places like A.S. Neil Summerhill. Um, that would have been one of the biggest philosophies for various people being involved in the school. But it was based on, I think the most important thing at the beginning was very much one vote, one person. So at no point did the teachers rule the roost. And I'm not sure how Biff Ward got to be the boss, but we did need a boss to interact with the education department. Mm. And perhaps she was chosen by the students or perhaps the teachers amongst themselves because the group of teachers that came across from their normal schools came on their normal wages and were the more radical, the more student-friendly teachers because, as I said earlier, we'd picked them and they were prepared to take the risk and come across. So Mm. we were all highly enthusiastic. Yeah, so that's interesting. I'm going to... I guess, so that's a key point there 
of getting the students who are interested in the idea to actually handpick the best teachers for the job. Probably because one thing that when I was there, I often puzzled and then since, how on earth did that culture, which is so radically different to everything outside the school, how on earth did the founders establish this? Ah, that was simple. It was one vote, one person, which meant at no point did the teachers run the show. Hmm. Biff was our spokesperson. I told you earlier the story about the Scotty that I knew, who was one of the students, and he wanted to organise games because he was a footy player and a something else player. And so he elected himself, with no objections, to being our PE master. So he trotted off to the ACT government school's PE mastering groups that they hold to organise into school competitions. <laughs> and the PE masters went straight to the education department and said, there's no way we can talk to a 15 or 16-year-old boy. And nearly all threatened to go out on strike. And we were bad. Well, excluded. we were exclu excluded from being able to be participate in team sports but I don't think Scotty would have ever got a team in terms of numbers. No. <laughs> so it probably wasn't the end of the world. And we got distracted at that point because Michael Burns decided we should all learn how to build geodesic domes. So we <laughs> spent the next few months in the Oval building geodesic domes that older people would probably remember as they drove past on that road. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, the old Buckminster Fuller idea, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So where did, when did you first hear about the idea? Uh, can you remember sort of where it was? You were only 14. I was in third form at Canberra High School and Lizzie Patterson, who was maybe in fifth form, for some reason, told me and... She'd been involved since the beginning and so there was the two of us from Canberra High who went over to Swale and it was fairly well publicised at the time. It was such a... We are looking at setting up a new and radical school in Canberra and it will be government-based. And the ironic thing was I was so annoyed with my education. I'd gone up to Sydney unbeknownst to my father and sat the entrance exams for Fort Street Girls High, which was a selective high school, and I'd got in and he refused to let me go. <laughs> I came back and said, all right, then stuff you, I'll go to Swale. <laughs> Not a problem, he said. Yeah, nice, yeah. <laughs> well, I imagine a fancy girls' school would have been pretty different to school without walls. Well, I just wanted an education at yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah. And what made you decide that it sounded like a good idea? Being treated as a fully functioning human being from day one made it such a delightful place to be. And even the early learnings at Childers Street were very much run along university... university tutorials on the grass. It was complete respect for all the human beings there and it was a sharing of knowledge. That whole experience was uh, very life-affirming, 
given I was a relatively crazy 14-year-old and many of the people who came to the first meetings and school were kids who generally all highly intelligent and generally were not fitting in well in their mainstream schools and were wanting something different. I mean, I was trotting around alienating myself in high school, telling everybody they were squashed tomatoes. (laughs) (coughs) It didn't go down that well. It was time to leave. Yeah, yep. And how did the setup work? I mean, it sounds like the local government was quite receptive and you didn't have a massive battle negotiating with bureaucrats. No. The local government, that's true, the local government was extremely receptive. It must have been a newly established education department because we'd only... Did we got self-government in 74? No. No, all right. Well, they were still wanting to show they were different. There was some reason why. If you asked one of the teachers, Simon Dawkins or Harry would probably know the more political part of it, but they were basically trotting around with money. They may have even funded the first public meetings just to see what something different could come out. Mm. So we had to meet some criteria, um, which was there based. I don't know how it was decided 100 kids got 10 teachers, but that would have been at that level. Um, that 15-year-old cut-off point was a bureaucratic thing that we couldn't have kids younger because nobody was going to mark an attendance sheet. Um, and they gave us the premises. I don't know about the rest. I think you'd have to talk to one of the teachers from then how that was negotiated. Yeah, yeah. And were there conflicts within the group setting it up? Not that I remember. There were very loud and long discussions, but they were generally over things like names and logo pictures. Everybody was so excited. They were not aggressive conflicts. They were just intellectual discussions at length. Nice, nice. Well, that certainly lasted the distance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And do you remember how the group figured out exactly what to implement, what to do? No. No. No, I was a young kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you reckon it would be possible to do now in today's environment? Um, probably not because there's no money. Uh, in the ACT, I don't think... You'd get the momentum behind it because of the college system. Um, And we've got alternative primary schools, and I'm thinking back, the AME was the alternative... I think the only alternative primary school in Canberra at the time, and I don't think we quite dovetailed in with them for kids graduating and coming to us, but there was certainly... A level of feeding, I think, from the AME. I think the education system now, by changing to college systems and also having their latest push being super schools, mm, I can't see government funding coming. Mm, Yep. This was very much... There was money in the government. They wanted to do something different. 
Yeah. yeah. And you've mentioned uh, earlier before we started that there's quite a possible influence on the, the college system being developed in Canberra because I know the ACT has quite a unique schooling system. It's been my thought in hindsight that as SWOW was being diminished and more diminished and more diminished over the years, which was quite painful to watch, that the whole concept of the college system may well have sprung from the SWOW concept, which is, you know, taking young adolescents or young adults, <clears throat> giving them some basic responsibility and treating them like human beings and then not pretending... And so while it's not swear by any stretch of the imagination, it's immensely more respectful in a high school that goes 7 to 12, where everybody's a kid and they're an idiot and needs to be to do what they're told. Yeah, there's a lot more autonomy in Canberra's colleges, isn't there? Yeah, a huge amount. Yeah. But not the same level as being able to pick your teachers and um, <laughs> having more votes for them and just because the teachers say so doesn't mean it happens. Yes, no, very, uh, very different. So how did, uh, how did SWOW actually work? How did it operate? Um, once we started, there was a time. Biff was chosen to be the head coordinator. I don't even know what her title was. but she, The lead organiser, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so like her and the teachers. And the teachers had all come from straight high schools, so they all had very much teaching schedules in their head. So they put together timetables. How did we get to pick which classes we wanted? I would imagine we did that on a voting system. There was a large school hall that was all full of couches and <laughs> we'd all meet in there and have group meetings and have votes. And and they did put together a timetable. I can definitely remember there was a timetable. It bore little resemblance to high school timetables. But, you know, art might be on, I don't know, whenever. And then if you needed to do it or wanted to do something in between times, you'd wander in. I must say that once we moved over to children, uh, over to the, the Catholic school grounds, my attendance at actual learning fell off quite severely. Um, I ended up having the ignominious distinction of getting six FXs in my school certificate, which was just literally failure to attend. <laughs> I decided I didn't want that piece of paper and I finally left school not long after that. Um, quite a lot of time was spent in the canteen smoking dope. Uh, I don't know that I particularly smoked a lot of dope at that point, but others did. That was probably a, a pastime. But there were lots of things that happened... Um, Julia organised, who was the language Indonesian teacher, organised a trip to Indonesia. So I intensively learned Indonesian for a year because I wanted to go to Indonesia. Yeah. So I think there was about 14 of us. We all trotted over and she teed up <coughs> with Indonesian uni students who were on holidays to be our own personal guides. We paid for them. And then they taught us how to have fun in Indonesia. And we went all around Bali and Java and generally had a fantastic time. We, um, we were over there for weeks, weeks and weeks. It really was quite enjoyable. And we got into trouble at the end because we were due to fly back 
on a Mapati airline and it got blown out by Cyclone Tracy the night before we were meant to leave. So we're standing at wow. the airport having just spent our last rupees only to have all these desperate Darwinites begging us for seats on our aeroplane. <laughs> and in Indonesia at that point, there was a law that if you didn't have $20 on you, you could be arrested and locked up in jail. And if your visa ran out, you could be locked up and put into jail, of which for all of us was the case. We had last day of visa and last penny spent waiting to get on the plane, only to discover the entire airline. There were three planes left that were in Bali and Denpasar and all the rest had been over in um, Darwin and they'd all been blown to smithereens. Wow. And we were stuck there going, holy shit, we're all about to be arrested. <laughs> but luckily at that point Qantas came to the forefront and th flew us back to Sydney as a um, heroic rescue of school kids from, from Cyclone Tracy effort. Wow, that's quite an adventure. It was a true adventure, that yeah. one. And we'd stayed in the high school at Darwin when we went over, all slept outside on their verandas, and there was no high school when we came back. It had gone. Yeah, right. Um, well, that would have been something to see. So you were walking through Darwin the day after Cyclone Tracy. No, we never got to Darwin. Yeah, we were right. stuck in Denpasar with all the panicked Darwinites. Right. <laughs> No, yeah. so we didn't see Darwin at all. Hmm. So how were decisions made? Well, literally, as I said, we would sit in the meeting room, and I can't remember how often we had meetings, but it was pretty often, and everybody would sit around very comfortably on the couches or the floor, and whoever was coordinating the meeting, and that would not necessarily be Biff, that could be anybody, um, would put a decision to the school. And the teachers had 10 votes and the kids had 100. And so the decision could go any which way. Hmm. And did you find during your time that the... I mean, it was very early on, but do you reckon the teachers were sort of carrying the, the cultural knowledge, I suppose, of the school as the students moved in and Ooh, out? Oh, uh, over time, probably because they stayed. Hmm. But they certainly didn't own the cultural knowledge at the beginning. No. Um, they didn't come. A lot of them came quite bewildered. Uh, that would probably be quite a good description for most of the teachers in that first first few months, like, oh, what have I done? I have taken a leap of faith. I am having my life governed by a group of 15 and 16-year-olds. This is different. Yes. Yeah. But they were all willing to give it a go. But <clears throat> the thing that's always struck me about the first hundred of us is we have all, in our own ways, gone off to be really quite good at our individual pursuits. They were all quite different. They ranged quite widely. And I think we were all fairly intelligent when we went in. I don't think it picked up kids who... You know, it did pick up kids who were struggling with learning, but not to discount their intelligence. Mm. Um, and I think out of the hundred of us, all of us went off and with a passion became quite successful in whichever way we wanted to go. I don't... I think the schools probably would have described us all as, thank God we've got rid of the dropouts <laughs> when we left our straight schools. But given the right space and the right environment... 
we've all achieved individual goals and aims, and they have been very individual. It certainly didn't turn out a collection of tax agents or anything. <laughs> and I don't know that anybody actually went into the Foreign Office from Swale. I think it did limit the um, educational abilities for admission to Sydney University or mm. diplomatic service. I have a suspicion a couple of people might have married into the diplomatic service. So, mm. so maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. Yeah, so you say you're left with a, uh, a reasonably dismal academic record, but what did you actually learn from going to SWOW? Because oh. that might not have been marked down on the academic record. Well, no, it wasn't at all. What did I learn? I learned a huge amount about literature, English literature, in incredible depth. I learned most of that from Childers Street. Um, I learned I could do anything I wanted. And I learned that the way to achieve it was to do it and not to sit around talking about it. Um, and I really did. I, I learned, like I learned Indonesian in a year and I was never fluent, but I could talk it. And I learned that because I wanted it, because I wanted to go to Indonesia and you couldn't go to Indonesia unless you could prove to Marion you could speak Indonesian. So I learned it. Yep. And I've used that approach throughout the rest of my life. Um, I haven't spent huge amounts of time learning about things that didn't seem to have a relevance for me. And while I left there academically, um, that was fine because I've since gone on and got university degrees and done all sorts of bits and pieces with my life because I wanted to, because I wanted something. So it certainly didn't hold me back academically. Yeah. And what did you learn about democracy? I came knowing that it's a very, very rare thing. Um, and it's a pain in the bloody neck. <laughs> you go round and round and round and round and round but in the end the decisions get made um, and they feel okay because you know they're not made by one person they've, they've been arrived at through a process and the process is probably worth more than the outcome hmm. life is about process I think uh, straight education teaches you it's all about outcome Swow, um, tortoise it isn't, it's about the process. The outcome is tomorrow, the process is today. Mm. And what about uh, disciplinary issues? What? How did they get dealt with? What's discipline? Ah, uh, well, I believe the one real rule of the school was respect for all. Ah. So say if a student felt disrespected by another student, they brought it to that meeting that you were talking about and it got dealt with. I have no huge recollection of individual whinging. I'm sure there was because it was a group of somewhat dysfunctional adolescents. <laughs> so I'm sure there was. Bound to happen. Bound to happen. Um, and, and people would give people the shits. But 
it's not a standout thing in my brain. It's not something that stayed with me. I don't have any recollection of um, any major issues, so ask away for others. They may remember. I have a tendency to get on with people reasonably well, and wind just bore me, so I probably just walked. Yep, <laughs> left the meeting at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which you could. Yep. And I guess attendance is the other thing. Were you required to attend no, class? No, not at all, because you were over 15, you could do what you liked. You could come and go as you pleased. Hmm. Now, I've, in my struggle to explain this system of the meeting to others who haven't experienced anything like it, I've had terrible trouble over the years, and I've come up with a, a term for it called daily democracy which is distinguished from periodic democracy where you might vote for your rulers once every three years or something. How have you found being able to try and describe what went on at SWOW to others who were never there? Um, well, how have you described it? Well, I think it? I yeah. probably described it really by saying each person got one vote, mm. there were ten teachers and a hundred kids. Yep. That keeps the playing field fairly level. Um, so I'm pleased to hear. So it went on, the daily democracy, the meetings. Yeah, what you're describing was, was very equal. familiar. Yep, yep. Oh, well, that's good. Hmm, until it started getting fiddled with from above. But uh, Yeah, because that was the essence of it. That was the power of the whole school for the teachers and for the kids. And, yeah, it was about process. Mm. And I don't have any recollection <coughs> of it going badly wrong. No. Maybe some of the teachers do, because <coughs> it would have been a challenge for them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, so when did you leave and why? Um, <coughs> I must have left somewhere around the time of the school certificate, so the end of 74, and why... I don't know. I can remember I was working when that during 74. I used to work as a breakfast maid at the um, travel lodge and then go to school after work. So I'm suspecting maybe, I don't know, did I get a job? Did I get a boyfriend? Did I just wander on? <laughs> maybe after not having done the school certificate, which was quite intentional to not do it. <laughs> I'd reached a point where I wasn't overly interested in education on that level. And I know for me, I got frustrated by the learning in there because it didn't have the immense power that the experience at Children's Street had had. I mean, Children's Street was only two months, three months. And for me, it was one of the most powerful learning experiences of my life. I don't know what made it different. Maybe it was just the way it was taught then or after that it all seemed a bit diluted. <laughs> yes. And I didn't know what I needed or wanted it for, so I didn't want to do it. Hmm. And what are the most lasting impressions on you that the school made? You've probably already answered this in some ways. I think it was the recognition that I was an okay person and I think getting that as an adolescent, like the longer I would have had to struggle in the normal high school, I was already having difficulties. And in the normal high school, it was all my fault. The moment I went to SWOW, it was all okay. And I was okay. 
And we had a fair, well, not a fair few, but I can think, can remember two or three kids who specialised in trying to commit suicide because maybe it was the age and because we were all fairly non, no, dysfunctional, not non-functional, dysfunctional. And my memory of two of them at least is they actually got their shit together once they started to be treated like normal human beings and no longer were the problem, mm. but they were part of the solution. And, and, and they also grew up. Yeah. And it wasn't focused on as, oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, quick, we have a crisis or a disaster. It's just, I'll stop carrying on. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> yeah. And did it change the direction of your life? Well, I think if I'd gone to Fort Street Selective Girls High, um, would I have been expelled in the first six months? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But given they were the two options, I think they could have had very different outcomes. Hmm. Yeah. And do you still keep friendships from that time? Um, no. I, at the um, reunions, I, no, I don't. Not particularly. But at the reunions, um, I still see people who I still know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And have the reunions been a really constant thing or are they off and on? Um, I don't know. I think I've been to two or three. But even the reunions are a classic way to organise a reunion. I, it is the first Saturday of December at Smith's Alternative Bookshop. Show up if you can. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and it's also... Because the school went for something like 28 years, so it's a mixture of all of those years. So Yeah, it's fluid. Yeah, well, the first one I turned up to, I didn't know anybody. So I had all sorts of interesting conversations. Yeah, it's fluid. <laughs> Quite a few of us very old-timers turned up. I thought that was interesting. Half of us very old-timers, half of us looked exactly like we looked then, <laughs> but older, and the other half were completely unrecognisable. I'm going, are you really? Wow. <laughs> Interesting experience. Yeah. So do you know the story of how it got shut down? Or maybe a better question for you is you mentioned that there was a slow decline over the years. I don't know. I wasn't in Canberra for most of it. Yeah, right. I heard bits. Mm. Uh, I think when it got transferred to Dixon College was the beginning of the very end. Mm. It didn't stand a chance to be a separate entity in a college. I think it managed for a couple of years, but I don't think... I can't imagine how well it would have worked. As long as it was on separate premises and was a separate identity, I presume it just evolved. Hmm. And it was certainly the intention to shut it down from when it got moved to the college. Hmm. And how do you feel about it being shut down in that way? <sighs> Fine, I think. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about history. I selfish git, I think, far more about my journey. <laughs> um, did, I had my own experience of the ACT high schools for my own kid, and was I any more impressed this time round than I was for myself? No. So how would you describe the best school that you could imagine? Do you know, 
I think I probably, to a large extent, would still put A.S. Neil and Summerhill back up there if I was describing a not completely fictitious school. Mm. I think that one... I, I'm sure there have been books and papers written since disbunking the whole thing, but I haven't read them. <laughs> um, that, to me, struck me as a method of learning that looked really quite good. Um, I went on and got quite involved in the Anthroposophical Society, and I don't mind their form of education, hmm. which fits within uh, the curriculums, but it has a completely different style of wholeness about its teaching techniques. Hmm. So, yeah, if I had to pick a school now that I had a level of support for, it would be that, but they cost. Yeah, right, yep. And would you be willing to help set up a new better SWOW in, in no. any way? No. Very good. And last one, are there any questions that I should have asked you but didn't? No. Very good. Lizanne Emery, thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and radio behind the lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A.org.au or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.